Welcome to the Deep Change Podcast, where we explore the future of human potential through psychology, brain tech, and pushing the boundaries of neuroplasticity. I'm your host, James Garrett, and today we have the honor of having Jonathan Paley on the show. Jonathan Paley is the co-founder, co-inventor, and CEO of Spire, the first wearable for regulating stress, breath, and mental well-being. A technologist and repeat entrepreneur, Jonathan studied physics and theater at Stanford University. Previously, Jonathan co-founded Adapted, the largest one-on-one -on -one provider of online English classes in China, BrainPage, a big data development and service company, and Beijing Improv, China's largest improvised theater organization. Jonathan's technology with Spire has the power to reconnect us back to our breath, which is one of our deepest sources of well being. He's smart, visionary, and passionate about the power of tech to make us all a little happier. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so I'm so excited about this conversation. Uh, I love. Spire, uh, I love what you guys are building. Um, and um, I kind of want to start out with a, with a fairly straightforward question, um, which is why breath? What is, help our listeners understand what it is about breathing that is so essential for overall well-being. Well, you know, one, one thing we often say is, you know, breathing is the first thing and the last thing you're going to do as a, as a human being that's alive, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of that, this very basic physiological measure. But when you look at it from a, how do we use it in the health space, right? Respiration is one of these very key, but often overlooked biosignals um, mm -hmm. that has a big impact on both mental as well as physical health. On the physical side, you know, 25%, around 25%, of healthcare spend is actually respiratory related. Something you have to forget. You know, you you think about healthcare and you think, um, uh, you know, people think of of blood pressure, right? Or they think of glucose. Mm -hmm. Certainly, diabetes is a big disease, and, and um, hypertension is a big disease. But things like asthma, things like COPD, uh, things like sleep apnea, right? Respiratory related diseases are actually a very very large part of the you know kind of traditional healthcare space. So that's. That's one, you know, one reason why why breath measures is, is or matters. It's a, a really key, uh, or it's a, it's a very large part of, of an often overlooked part of our healthcare, our physical health. Um, but then on the related, um, uh, uh, you know, mental well-being or mental health space, um, breath or respiratory-related um, techniques um, and signals are. Uh, we believe, and I think, uh, well proven as a key part of regulating both both detecting and regulating, um, uh, you know, things like anxiety, right, and panic. Mm. A lot of techniques around that. Um, obviously, uh, you know, techniques uh, like meditation or areas around um, uh, focus optimization use breathing heavily. Um, and so it's it's this very it's this very powerful and and uh, fascinating signal that really spans the gamut from wellness and, and, and mental well-being and, and even kind of a kind of optimization, um, you know, to, to uh, physical health and, 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 and uh, life and death, <laughs> uh, you know, in, a, in, a, in an ICU. Um, and so uh, 
uh, this, you know, this is this is kind of where we started from in this this realizing that this is a very powerful signal. It also has not been measured um, in the way we're measuring it uh, Interesting. before. Interesting. So, so there's not been previous to Spire, there wasn't a way to actually measure respiration. So there there was, um, but not uh, kind of kind of what we say in a continuous ambulatory fashion. Um, so the state of the art of I think before our uh, our product came along of accurately continuously measuring respiratory uh, patterns was either through spirometry, which means you know you're quite literally measuring the air going out of your your nose and mouth, and that is the gold standard. It is not a practical gold standard uh, mm. for uh, for living in you know <laughs> outside of it. Sharing it on your nose, yeah. Uh, day, right. Um, right. Uh, so that's one, you know, or there, there, there is, you know, there has been kind of bands, respiratory effort bands, so you can, you know, you can kind of strap yourself in to things that measure that thoracic expansion. Uh, uh, again, not the most practical solution um, when it comes to, uh, you know, outside of a care sitting um, kind of measurement. And so, you know, that's where, where we started from, or one of the places Spire started from uh, was uh, looking at, uh, you know, can we capture uh, this very uh, meaningful, very interesting signal in a way that it or was, um, I guess still is, <laughs> um, uh, uh, both very accurate, has a very high fidelity, we can talk about what that means, um, as well as being very practical and very easy to use in a, you know, everyday, everyday setting. Right. So this is a this is in some ways the 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 real breakthrough on the technology side is really making this widely accessible. Does that sound yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that you know that enables a number of uh, that enables a number of different you know different kinds of use cases. But it starts with making that signal widely accessible for sure. Fascinating, fascinating. And I look at the analogy like. Um, you know, if you look at what ha has happened over the last 25, 30 years with, uh, you know, CGM, continuous glucose monitoring, right? Mm -hmm. Or or you look at what's uh, in many ways happened over the last 40 years with, with ECG, right? Where glucose was a biomarker that we understood before CGM came along, right? And it was something that you can measure kind of very uh, poorly um, or very with quite a lot of difficulty. Um, and, you know, fortunately that technology has progressed and now we're able to get with patients that that makes sense, really this continuous view of their glucose and understand uh, and impact um, diabetic, particularly care uh, with that. You know, we're trying to do something very similar uh, when it comes to respiratory care. Interesting, interesting. I wanna, I wanna dive deeper into the tech, but before we do that, I wanna, again, just sort of paint this kind of broader picture of why breath matters and why sort of getting the, the, the sort of in control or, or sort of more aware in some yeah. sense of, of what's actually been happening. You know, many, many ways, breath is one of these amazing um, processes in our bodies where it can completely run and will run on autopilot without our thinking about it. Yep. And if you want to manage that process and actually slow down, for example, how, how, you know, the, the pace at which you're breathing out, which will activate your parasympathetic calming response, uh, you can do that. So, so you can't do that with your heart, for example. Um, okay. And it's good to remember that you can't, you can't by thinking and sort of taking control of, of, uh, 
an autonomic sort of process. You can't slow down or speed up your heart, uh, but you can slow down your breath. And I just find that fascinating. Yeah, you know, breathing, there's those three things that, that we, uh, uh, most of the time, you know, our bodies do automatically, uh, but we can consciously control. It's our breathing, our facial expressions, mm. uh, and blinking, um, are, 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 you know, are those three things. And I think a, a lot of us heard that, you know, if you smile more, you're happier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you force yourself to smile, it, it releases endorphins that make you feel, you know, it's this kind of weird things. The very mm-hmm. same thing exists with, with the breath, right? Where mm-hmm. uh, you know, taking that deep breath um, effectively is, is telling your body um, that everything's okay, right? Because what happens when we get into, uh, you know, fight or flight situation, we get into a situation where we need to prepare because something bad's going to happen. Our, our body starts um, regulating our breathing in a different way. It starts preparing for, you know, needing to run. <laughs> if you think about it in a very kind of caveman kind of way. Okay, something bad's going to happen. I'm going to need to run. I'm going to start, you know, storing oxygen. I'm going to start holding my breath because uh, I need to get ready for whatever comes next. Um, uh, wh- and then when you take that deep breath, when you, particularly the, when you force the long exhalation, um, you know, you're, you're telling your body to reverse. No everything's okay. I have the time to exhale slowly. Um, and, and so you get that, that two way response. So that, that was my poor, but basic caveman version of, yeah. <laughs> of, of why, you know, why, why breathing works, um, uh, the way that it is, but it, you know, it's, it's for, I think, I think it's for that reason that when you look at practices, ancient practices, as well as modern practices, right. Mm. From meditation or yoga to, you know, Tai Chi in, in, uh, uh, in, in China, for example, um, uh, and a lot of traditional medicines uh, where breathing is consistently comes up as a key, right? And regulating breathing as a key to, to that wellness practice, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right? And that's why. Is, it, is, it, is the simplest, so, so I'm thinking of trying to, the simplest way to boil it down for, for this is a body to brain communication, right? Uh, that your body, I mean, it's sort of a brain to body to brain, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but but you're, you're, you're sort of, by, again, slowing down the breath, you're signaling back to your brain that you're safe. Yeah. And if you're safe, your body can do what it does when it knows it's safe, which is all the restorative and, and, and uh, repair, and it's like the rest and digest mode, right? You're repairing and, and regenerating basically all of what you need to thrive, to, to be at your best. Does that sound right to you? That, sounds, that sounds, definitely sounds right. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly um, fascinated by the kind of overwhelm in modern life and the the busyness it's really just the busyness we're so we're moving so fast and so hard and and it's in some sense the word is is relentless right it's relentless this sort of pace of modern life and you know i'm thinking of fred luskin's research right now uh and uh this this idea of type type one stress versus type two stress you know type one stress being where um the way stress was meant to you know, activate this kind of fight or flight response where we do run from danger usually, uh, and then it, it it peaks and then it calms back down, and that's okay, no problem. But type two stress is this sort of elevated fight or flight dominant state where we kind of we get kind of stuck in that 
high gear, that high fight or flight state. Again, we just experience this as I'm stressed, right? Or I'm, I'm under time pressure or I'm in a hurry. Um, and a lot of us live that way a lot of our lives. And so in some ways, we're not giving our bodies the capacity to restore and regenerate what they need to, to thrive. And again, over time, and I know this from personal experience because I, I burned out twice in my life. Um, you burn out. Yeah. You know, one of the things in, in the work we've done with stress that we talk a lot, of, we've talked a lot about internally, um, and I think it's is worthwhile, to, you know, it's, it's kind of one of these subtle things is stress isn't necessarily bad, exactly what you're saying, yeah. right? Stress is, um, you know, I'm going to use stress in quotes here. <laughs> um, uh, you know, what exactly is stress is also a debatable thing, but let's, in the kind of common, you know, it is, it is one of the things that causes, allows us to do things that we didn't think were otherwise possible, personally, and that, and that are um, ultimately very rewarding. Uh, and so that's, you know, that's something that we, uh, um, uh, we do work, but then there's also very bad stress, right? And so it's, it's finding the balance between the two. It's understanding that, that there's different kinds of physiological activation, right? So when we're, when our devices have measured stress, um, you know, we, we look at the breathing patterns and we, uh, look at different breathing patterns and some we say are good and some are so bad. For example, you can be in a very activated state. Uh, where you're breathing much faster than your baseline. Um, and so you're actually breathing quite quickly, um, which is a form of activation, right? It is a form of stress, uh, but you're breathing very regularly, right? So the variation in your breath is, is very low. And we've classified that as, as what we call focus or kind of good stress. Um, mm. And the reason is uh, that if you, again, if you look at the physiology, you know, your body's activated, but it's, it's high, it's, 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 it's kind of, um, controlling it very well, right? Mm. By 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 doing that, and so and we see that you know when when for example when I'm when I'm um, uh, uh, working on something very creative and I'm I'm really into it, right? Yeah, you know what? I'm breathing faster, right? I'm I'm you know my body's my body's going, but I'm I'm breathing very regularly as well. And when I look back on that, I might be more tired than I was if I hadn't done that. Right. But, but I've generally really accomplished something I'm very proud of. Um, mm. I feel good about. And so that we say is, you know, focus. Whereas, you, you know, negative stress tends to be characterized by very erratic breathing. Um, uh, and also, you know, elevated and very erratic breathing where, uh, and that kind of makes sense, right? Because when you start getting into that, that mode that's not healthy, um, you know, you, you, you're, you're, holding, you're, you know, you're holding your breath a lot. Right, you're doing a lot of you know. Okay, what's gonna happen next? Oh no, you're doing a lot of things that are are um, cause tension um, in your in your body. That, that you know, that's a negative stress. So that's, that's on an instantaneous basis. And then as you talk about, there's obviously kind of the longitudinal basis, which is if you're constantly in a state of fear or this kind of negative stress day over day for extended periods of time uh, without the restoration, that's that's not good. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that distinction between sort of positive stress and negative stress is a fascinating one. I'm thinking of Kelly McGonigal's book, The Upside of Stress right now, um, where, where you, can, you can start to differentiate between these different types of stress and get good at harnessing, um, it, both, both noticing the differences, but then sort of um, leveraging when you're in that kind of, I, I'm thinking also that, that sort of positive state of stress. And I, I'm thinking of this, when you say focus, I'm thinking flow. 
Yeah. Um, same, same. Very similar. Is that how? Yeah, yeah. Okay, same. good. I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. Just different words. Same, same, same idea. Um, and, and that is what the flow research says, right? Is that you're you are in a little bit of an elevated. It's sort of like this um, sweet spot of sort of uh, calm intensity. You know, it, there's like a paradox there, right? Where it's sort of like you've got you're you are a little bit elevated but you've all you also have like intense control in the way that you're directing your attention you don't feel scattered you don't feel brain fogged you don't feel distractible right quite the opposite you feel uh you feel laser focused you feel completely absorbed in what you're ever you're doing exactly. yeah and we see that in breathing that's one of the cool things fascinating we see that in the respiratory system and so it's not about how, how frequently the breaths are. That's one measure, but it's also how erratic or consistent or consistent or inconsistent those breaths yeah, are. Yeah, so if we go back, back to the kind of respiratory signal, you know, think of the respiratory signal we're capturing like an ECG. In other words, yeah. if you look at an ECG, which most people are familiar with, you can pull out, you can pull out the heart rate, uh, but then there's also a lot of other measures within that ECG when you look at the effectively shape of it. Right, that are indicative of heart disease or you know different different coronary um, issues, and so um, it's a very similar thing that we do with with breathing, right? Where we have, yeah, you have a breath rate. That's kind of the basic thing, but you also have things like um, the, the the variability, right? Um, which is kind of corresponds to heart rate variability. Um, what's the mm -hmm. what's the need to be variability? Um, or you have things like the inhalation time and the exhalation time, right? So when you when you get more relaxed, your exhalation time tends to tends to extend, not too much. When you extend too much, you tend to have asthma or, <laughs> or respiratory disease, but it tends to extend um, a little bit. Um, and so, you know, there's a, there's a lot within that signal that's, that's been really fun to explore. Fascinating, fascinating. Yeah, I've, I've been, I've been uh, monitoring my own heart rate variability. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> it, it, because it is such a great measure of kind of yeah. baseline stress or, yeah. or stress resilience. Um, and um, I've never thought of breath. It's sort of breath variability, or I don't even know what the acronym would be, breath rate variability. Yeah, we call it respiratory rate variability, but yeah. Respiratory rate variability, yeah. RRV, interesting. Yeah, um, so, so, they're, highly, they're highly related, right? These signals are very, very related. And uh, you know, as, as you know, when you breathe in, your heart rate speeds up. When you breathe out, your heart rate slows down. Right. Uh, and so, the, 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 <laughs> The, the respiratory and heart, you know, or the, you know, the breath and heart work very closely um, together. And so it's, you know, it's fun to look at them from different angles and, and mm. put it together. Um, I think the, the as, you, as we started talking about, the, when it comes to kind of the mind, the interesting thing, I think, particularly about the breath is the controllability of it. Um, mm. But it is a signal you can, or a thing that you can control. Yeah, so, so I love what Spire is doing in terms of sort of getting people back into that kind of parasympathetic state or restorative state more consistently, more regularly, because again, it vibrates when you are tense, it right. vibrates in a form of sort of biofeedback that lets you know, hey, your, sure. your, your, your breath is intense and a lot of listeners maybe not know that. Uh, and so again, it, it's sort of like, you know, it's, it's something that you may not notice on your own, but with that extra nudge of biofeedback, suddenly, it, again, it's just like a calm reminder, gentle reminder uh, throughout your day to like start breathing into your belly again. Yep. Um, 
And so I love the idea of it sort of consciously kicking into that sort of rest and digest state. But the other one, again, is, is into states of focus and calm. You know, one of the most, um, <clears throat> I think, uh, misunderstood ways the mind is related to the body is, I, I find a lot of companies dialing up the stress to create more outcomes, meaning they're, they sort of amp up the pressure or um, um, the, the, the sort of stakes, I guess, you know, whether that's through incentives or, or uh, kind of the transparency of performance. And, and again, all with good intentions. I don't think anybody's out there trying to stress anybody out. But, but I, I'm, I'm fascinated by initiatives, Google and others, who've really dialed in on mindfulness um, um, in a pretty serious way and are sort of designing for calm. You know, they're, they're architecting their workspaces in a way that uh, where people are actually more calm more frequently and be, be, I think for the express reason that they're trying to get people to tap into states of focus and flow and, and sort of uh, deep, deep work or, or sort of more, more productive or high quality work more often. Right. Um, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so, you know, we, we did a study uh, with Stanford and LinkedIn, you know, looking at workplace stress and, 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 and focus with our devices. Um, and where it was focused on um, uh, the, the exact feedback we talked about, right? So what's, what's by having these little reminders that our device is able to do based off of the breathing, uh, you know, what, uh, what, is, what is the impact of that? Um, and that was part of the study, the part was using some resilience training, right? And, and across standard psychological measures, uh, like the perceived stress score, um, mm -hmm. like a measure of anxiety, that's, that's kind of widely used as well as measure of um, some measures of productivity, you know, with, 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 uh, with that kind of feedback, <laughs> there was very meaningful changes um, mm. from the kind of before and after and against the control group. Right. Um, so there was a, you know, real scientific effect there that our technology had um, on the uh, stress and productivity of, of, uh, of those employees, which is really, really cool to see. So I, you know, I think I, I use that as an example um, of, of there's obviously um, quite a bit uh, that, that can be done, um, uh, you know, around how we, how we continue to you know, improve human performance effectively. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you know, I think one thing, one thing, again, we're always very conscious of the pluses and minuses and all the different things that happen is um, it's great what the workplaces are doing. Let's also not forget what happens um, more broadly in our society and at home, right? Mm -hmm. From things like you know social media to that. And the reason I say that is when we look at our data and we look at what is the time that people get most stressed based on our data, mm -hmm. it's when they go home. Interesting. Um, and so it's not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not taking away from the workplace stuff, but it is something that it's a, it's a data point I can't ignore. Right, that we that we tend to see, um, you know, we tend to see the highest levels of rise in tension, um, you know, around like six, seven, <laughs> you know, eight o'clock at eight o'clock at night, right? Um, 
And I, you know, there's been some, I'm not an expert in that, but I think this, as I've talked to some experts, you know, there's, there's a number of hypotheses of why that is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of that is that for a lot of people, there might be, you know, pressures and deadlines and stuff at this at the, at the office, but it's a pretty, it's, it's well known. It's a, it's a known mm-hmm. entity, right? Mm-hmm. It's a controlled entity. Um, and, and, you know, dealing and not dealing, that sounds bad, but you know, what happens at home with families like that is, is unknown. And, and I, I don't know. I don't know. And it's, it's kind of an unfortunate thing to see, but it is something we see very clearly in our data. Um, and so I think as we, as we, I think it's great, obviously, um, uh, employers, uh, you know, thinking about, um, about these things in the workplace, but we've got a larger societal kind of thing to think about it more broadly. Um, and I, you know, and how technology is impacting that. So just, just something, just the data point to throw out there. <laughs> I love that. That's so interesting. I think, I think most people would expect the opposite. They would. And so that's, that's why I brought that up is, is yeah. that, and that's something that's been, you know, unquestioned again, and we've done, you know, we've, we've been involved in some really exciting um, research that, that shows that there's ways in workplaces to, uh, to improve productivity and lower stress. But I can't ignore the fact that that's not where we consistently see the highest le- across the populations that we've measured, right? Mm-hmm. And so what's, what's going on there, I think, is something that's worth looking into. Yeah, I wish, I wish we had data. This, this is, uh, you know, not, not possible now, but I wish we had data pre, um, you know, I, I, there's so many hypotheses for why that might be. Obviously, a lot, a lot of us have other obligations, possible kids, and, and, and sort of we're, we're multitasking in a sense, you know, when yeah. we get home. Um, trying to get dinner on. We were also more exhausted <laughs> from a long day at work. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and it'll be interesting to see the, 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 the rise of, of mobile technology because the other thing that, of course, occurs to, I think, a lot of us is we're still tethered to work, you know, and, and we still have that sort of like um, – possible kind of background expectation that may be self-imposed but background expectation that i need to get back to something i didn't finish at the office so i've got to so it puts time pressure on what otherwise would be kind of maybe maybe more relaxed family time um but but there's 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 fascinating variables there that i wish we had better i wish we had your technology 20 years ago before mobile technology and then we could compare pre and post you know and i mean Absolutely. And I think also, the, you know, people, even if they're not connected to work, they're connected to, um, you know, Facebook and, and other, other things that I think are yeah. increasingly being questioned, <laughs> shall we say, um, as to the impact they have on health, right? Um, and so I think that's something that's also... Tell, tell us more about your opinion on that. I mean, I, I'm aware of some of the basic studies on sort of upticks in anxiety and, and other with... with, with more social media use, um, um, but but from your perspective, what does that downside of social media use look well, like? I mean, again, I'm not an expert on this, but it's something I find quite fascinating. I think you do too as well. Um, what occurs to me is, and I've been, you know, I, I'm pretty familiar with this. These technologies, they're monetizing your time, right? So if you go back to the basic business model. Right, mm. Facebook's business model is to monetize your time, which means that their technology is going to be built to try to suck in as much as your time of your time as possible. Mm. Right? And 
and, and therefore it's to be addictive as possible, right? And I think that's, at this point, that's not, you know, they've effectively said this, right? Um, it's pretty well known that, you know, they, they have done a lot of work on optimizing and A-B testing and, you know, running experiments to figure out how to keep people to keep scrolling yeah. on that timeline as an example for Facebook, right? Or, or games, right? I mean, if you're in the gaming world or anyone who's touched the game world knows, you know, modern game design is like, you know, small amount of creativity, very large amount of, you know, using data to tweak the levels so you, you get just enough of that, that, that sense of satisfaction that you want to keep going, right? Uh, but, but not enough that you, that, you, that you feel good enough to stop, right? Uh, because, you know, it's because those, those business models are based on fundamentally on monetizing your time. So then you have to look at that and say, you know, we're spending collectively in society a lot of time using things that were very you know, effectively, explicitly designed for, to try to addict you. Maybe addiction is not the right word, not, not clinical addiction. Although I think we're now seeing, you know, it's now debate as to whether it should be a clinical, clinical. Well, Adam Alter in this book, Irresistible, nails it. I mean, or, or sort of comes out and says behavioral addiction pretty clearly. He's an NIU yeah. psychologist and has written and done right. a lot of research on this. No, so yeah, I don't, I think it's a, it's a, it's everyone a viable hypothesis. Yeah, is everyone addicted? No, but is everyone, is everyone victim, anyone who uses these technologies, victim to, the, the algorithms that are, are designed to, to, to try to pull you in? Yeah, for sure, whether we realize it or not. Mm. Um, and so, again, I, you know, I, I don't know, but that just leads me to think that I don't see technology designed for that necessarily being great for well-being. Let's mm. put it that way, right? Uh, you know, I don't, um, that seems a bit, <laughs> you know, a bit counter to the idea. And so I think that's certainly is contributing. Um, yeah. Somehow, I mean, you know, I, I'm fascinated by this. This may seem a bit tangential, but I, I don't think it is to this conversation. You know, there's been a number of things published recently, looking at standard um, economic measures of productivity that have shown productivity have not really gone out. It's, it's stagnated. It's stagnated recently, yeah. right? Despite the advances in technology, and that's a concerning from an economic perspective, but be very surprising. This technology is certain advanced, certainly advanced, and yet our country's productivity has not, um, or not at the way you'd expect. Mm. Uh, where, where does that come from? It's probably about, you know, I think related to this as well. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm uh, it, it's interesting, this kind of macro phases of, of tech evolution that we find ourselves in, right? It was like the internet, it was like the 1.0 internet with, you know, right. we, were all, we were all just kind of enamored by it. Then there was like the 2.0 internet where things got a lot more sophisticated, the rise of social media. And of course the tail end of this was, it, it was, was mobile technology and, and iPhones, et cetera. Uh, and now we're moving into a new phase, you know, Steve Case, founder of AOL in his book, the third wave talks a lot about this, um, what this new internet will look like. Um, uh, a sort of internet enabled technologies, not kind of uh, uh, internet centric technologies. And um, it, one of the things that I do find really fascinating is this shift from like a dopamine economy, mm-hmm. which is largely what you're describing, right? You're describing this, you know, dopamine is a neurochemical that gives us this, the feeling that something good is about to occur. Right. It's what, it's what Facebook and gaming companies, whatever, 
That's what they optimize for, right? And so we're all part, we're all kind of swimming in this dopamine economy. It's also the thing that if you don't have enough of, you get depressed, which is really interesting because it's a motivational neurochemical. Yeah. It, it motivates you to action, but it doesn't necessarily satisfy. A lot of people get this mixed up. Dopamine doesn't necessarily feel good in the way that endorphins or serotonin or oxytocin feels good, right? And so it doesn't make you happy. It makes you motivated. Now, that's great for getting you back on the platform. It's really ne not necessarily great for, for, for your well-being. You need these deeper, uh, more uh, connecting uh, neurochemicals like oxytocin and, and serotonin. Uh, and I do think there is the, a rise with this third wave of technology that the companies of the future aren't necessarily playing the dopamine game. They're, they're, tr they're, they're carving, much in the way you guys are with Spire, a new future where wellness and, and thriving, human thriving and wellness are the new currencies. And so I, I'm fascinated by this sort of competition between this kind of attention or dopamine economy and the rise of the wellness economy and how that will play out over the next decade. Thoughts yeah. there? I, I completely agree. Maybe I can offer a, a, um, not a different, well, a different perspective on the same, on the same thing. Um, I, I think I'll have an economic perspective. Right, which might sound weird, but I, I, you know, we do live in a society. I think be realist where you know economic incentives are kind of <laughs> drives, you know, one of the largest factors for better or worse, but they are one of the largest factors in, in how entities act, right? Um, and uh, you know, we saw in this kind of dopamine media society, as we talked about, the economic uh, incentives were uh, to, uh, to 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 give you this dopamine effect to get your time. Right, because that was that was what got monetized. Yeah. As a society, and you know, as a country now, we're seeing some very troubling trends that uh, need to be fixed. One is our healthcare costs are rising at an unsustainable, unsustainable rate, mm. and so that's you know, and that's that's impacting a lot of different things. I think in a lot of different ways. And so, looking looking at how we um, lower those costs. Uh, is critically, critically important. Mm -hmm. um, and it might not seem like what we're talking about this whole time is related to healthcare costs, but it really is. Mm. It really is, right? You know, we, of the, you know, it depends how you, how you slice it, but of the six, seven plus trillion dollars a year that the U.S. spends on healthcare, um, uh, over half of that is uh, chronic diseases. Mm. Um, hypertension, diabetes, COPD, asthma, et cetera. Uh, and the most common comorbidity of, of a um, uh, chronic disease, uh, or one of the most common comorbidities, meaning something that you tend to see, uh, is anxiety, right? Mm. Uh, is, is, and so just to, just to kind of connect it, connect it all back, you might think of like very traditional healthcare costs as not being related to um, what we've just been talking about around kind of brain and, and mental well-being um, but it really is, <laughs> and it really is because uh, uh, it's uh, chronic, you know, one of the biggest factors with chronic disease management is how you manage stress. Um, right. and so, so all, you know, all of this, all of this comes together, right? Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think to your point about this change happening, um, I, I do think uh, being, you know, being kind of in the healthcare, being a 
you know, we are, we, as far as is, you know, is a business still, um, and being in the, and in the healthcare space predominantly, um, there has been fortunately in the last year plus a real change in terms of how the broader ecosystem from doctors to insurance providers, um, to companies that often act as insurance companies are now thinking about how we prevent things, mm. right? How we can stop healthcare has been in the U S reactive right. up to this point. You go along in your life and something gets really bad to the point where you got to go see a doctor <laughs> and then they treat it and they send you home um, and, and hope it's all well. Right. And I think now, you know, now realizes, no, no, that that's not sustainable. Um, that's, that's not going to be something that continues to work. And well, a and B, we're going to be able to, you know, from a cost and outcomes perspective, we're going to be able to maintain that as a society. Um, and so, great. How, how do we start using technology um, and data and all these things to identify um, when an intervention can happen or help, you know, alleviate that need to, to go to, to uh, the emergency room or, or something like this is, you know, it's kind of a key trend that's happened. It's fascinating. I'm so glad you bring this up because I know internally at Spire, you guys are, 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 are sort of leaning more into that health space in that preventative care space. Right. Tell us more about your thinking of, and part of this is, you know, the original technology was the Spire stone is for the, that's what it looks like right there. You little clip, you clip it onto your. We haven't talked um, about health tag yet. So our new one. Shorts. Uh, but this is, yeah, so I've been used, I've used both and, and I've experienced with both. This is, this is the health tag. This is obviously, you know, stuck to my underwear here. Uh, but, but, uh, but they're both very, very similar technologies with a few distinct differences. Um, but this is, you guys, with this technology, I know you guys are moving more into that health space. So tell us more about that transition and where, what your goals yeah. are. I get, you know, there's a couple of different angles, but I think one angle I'll talk about it is, and I think it's a really important angle that again, may be something that, as we talk about kind of a lot of what you talk about is overlooked, but again, I think it's critically important for the widespread adoption of what we're talking about um, is what's happening in the broader healthcare space. Um, specifically, uh, I think a lot of these technologies that, you know, you go back seven, eight years were in the domain of kind of hackers, right? Mm. And then they moved into the space of kind of consumers mm. have now started to uh, really move into the space of, of you know, healthcare, right? And, and you're seeing healthcare professionals, um, uh, you know, looking at how they adopt these. And that, that, that's a, you know, there's a couple of ways. One way that's very important and very meaningful uh, in terms of actual adoption is insurance companies like Medicare, which is kind of a company slash government, obviously federal uh, program, uh, are uh, doing a lot of things to start allowing reimbursement. You know, health insurance actually will start paying for technologies like this. And the reason that matters, and the reason it's really important, is when you look at most people in the United States, most people are still, you know, they're, they're unfortunately not listening to your podcast, right? Most people are still going to the doctor to, to get information and be told what to do when it comes to health and wellness, yeah. right? And so one of the things that we've always been super focused on Aspire is 
you know, how do we build technologies that have a broad impact, right? Not just an impact on those that are, are you know, thinking about this more uh, and perhaps have the discretionary income to think about it more. Uh, but how do we have a broad impact, right? And the way that we're going to have the broadest impact is to work with the healthcare system because that is, that is where uh, most people, you know, you depend on their insurance to cover things like this, to cover things around their health and wellness, right? Yeah. And depend on their doctor to, 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 to their healthcare system to, to help direct them on what to do. Uh, and so as a company, you know, we've been kind of, we've, you know, we've, we sell consumer products. Um, as you say, we, we sell research products and that's a, a big growing business um, for us as we have this really interesting data and mm. we're very interested in, uh, you know, enabling researchers to, mm -hmm. to help us uncover mm -hmm. what's in this data that's never been measured before. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, you know, increasingly we're very happy that we can work with doctors and physicians uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, the healthcare system more largely at how does this technology really get deployed um, more broadly. Um, and I, I think that is, you know, if, when you kind of look at the crystal ball and say, what does the future look like? Um, it, it, it looks like this mostly, you know, this, this, the healthcare system really embracing uh, these kind of digital technologies and sensors. Fascinating. Uh, how, what is the, what is the sort of, um, you know, healthcare systems tend to be slow moving, yeah. tend to have sort of legacy, um, you know, thinking, let's say, or, or sort of cultural norms. Uh, what is the kind of uptake? Do you find that, that it's sort of in fits and starts? You have some healthcare systems or networks of hospitals or whatever that are more amenable or more interested in this type of, is, than others? Or um, is it sort of a kind of a slot? Like, like how, do you, how do you pitch this in a way that, that they, they're getting the preventative medicine side of it and are eager to adopt? Yeah. So there's there's two sides to that to that coin um one is you kind of look at where where do technologies like ours where can they really clearly save dollars and improve patient outcomes mm. um, the more it's tied to really clear evidence um of both both in terms of patient outcome evidence as well as as well as um dollar you know dollar savings evidence um the easier you get from an adoption standpoint. That's one side, I'll give an example of that. But the other side that I think is really, I mean, is, is super, super meaningful. Um, and it's, it's in the weeds of healthcare kind of minutia, but it is, I, I can tell you, and I feel quite strong about it, is it is the biggest thing to happen to kind of looking at this, this, this space, <laughs> to impact the space in a very long time. Um, and that is that uh, starting this year, Medicare, uh, is reimbursing remote patient monitoring. Hmm. What that means is that if, if you're a Medicare patient, of which there are a lot, Medicare is the largest insurance organization in the, in the country, yeah. um, uh, and your doctor says, you know, uh, I, I, you know, while you're at home, while you're outside on a clinic, I want to monitor what's going on using Spire Health Tags, <laughs> for example. Um, and I'll be taking a look at that and seeing if your health's changing and using that to write feedback on your health and help you better. Um, that is no longer something where a doctor says that and uh, A, you've got to go buy the device and B, the doctor needs to effectively donate their time to do that. Mm. Now the device gets covered and the physician's time or the clinician's time gets covered 
uh, to, to interact with your data. That's really transformative. That's a big deal. Yeah. A really big deal, right? Um, because it, it, it makes this stuff accessible uh, both, both to the to patient as well as to the, to the doctor to a huge, huge population. Um, and so that's something that we think is totally transformative to this industry. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's really exciting. And it's, and it's one of the things that's going to drive a lot of the adoption of, of some of the stuff we've talked about. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah no, it, it makes so much sense. And I, and, and I do think, you know, I, in fact, I'm, I've been working with uh, a hospital system here on some of these, on the sort of some of the brain stuff around the science of taking intentional breaks and, and, yeah. and, and these kind of, it's kind of Daniel Pink's thesis in his book, when, right? How do you, how do you uh, work in sprints and breaks rather than these long marathons? And, and what does that do for, for example, hospital error rates and all these other things that hospitals yeah. care about? And it really matters. Um, you hear about error rates too. <laughs> right. You know, it really does matter. And, and, um, and I do find that on the leadership level in hospital systems, personally, my experience has been that they're really looking for this kind of stuff. You know, it may, it may not always go all the way down the chain, but, um, you know, my, again, my limited experience is that they, they're, they're, um, they're wanting hospital systems can tell that that healthcare is changing. Yeah. Uh, that it is more the people are taking their health more in their own hands. That there's this huge shift, and of course they the systems want to be, not they want to not become obsolete. You know they want to become they want to be leading that change. And so there's this of course these tensions within those systems. But yet but but I do find a lot of the leadership uh, is is. Uh, is not just sort of amenable to them, but is actually hungry for uh, that type of change. Yeah, I think so, absolutely. And I think it's, I also think it's something that's happened in the last couple of years. Um, you know, there's been, a, there's been a fairly distinct um, shift, which tends to happen with technologies, right? You know, people kind of get familiar with it, they get, they get comfortable with the idea, and then it starts truly getting adopted. Uh, and I think we're at an exciting uh, inflection point of how these technologies and techniques actually do get adopted in, in the healthcare love it so i wanted to, i wanted to, i want to talk uh about the uh i want to sort of round out our conversation with talking just about the technology itself so if i'm an average um consumer i'm not engaging with, with this through a doctor or a healthcare system or or anything else um <clears throat> what is that experience like for me first of all how do i get it how do, how do i buy the the spire stone okay. or the health tags yeah. so health health tag um uh, is what, what we encourage you to buy. Um, yeah. And uh, it's available on our website um, or in Apple stores. Um, and, what is, and what is your website? Uh, SpireHealth.com. SpireHealth.com. SpireHealth, S-P-I-R-E, health.com. Yes. I should like hold up a thing here. So SpireHealth.com. And you can, we have a consumer product. Uh, mm -hmm. as a consumer app. Uh, we also have a, a new research product uh, that uh, gives you a, a number of extra features. It allows access to the raw data um, behind what our device captures, um, which, is, which is quite rich. Um, and it also has tools to, to manage deployments of devices. So if you're running a research project with you know, 10, 20, 100, 1,000 um, participants, um, you know, it ends up, we have a lot of experience doing this, um, you know, 
figuring out who's activated it, who's, you know, who's, who's doing what you want them to do is, is a important <laughs> and can be a very time consuming part of running clinical research. And so we've, uh, we've built some great tools around that. So that's all, that's all on SpireHealth, uh, SpireHealth.com. Um, as to what it does, <laughs> which is, which was uh, the other thing. So one of the, there's a couple unique things about HealthTag. We've talked about the respiratory sensor and I'll, I'll dive into that a little bit more. But the other side of it that's very unique is the, the form factor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and let's, I'll talk about why we spent years developing this, this health tag form factor. Um, and it actually goes a little bit to what we are just talking about with the healthcare system. Our hypothesis, and I think there's a lot of data around this, is that most people uh, want the benefit that these kind of sensors and that the data, if used correctly, can provide. Uh, but it's very, very, but, but the, the extra effort of wearing and charging um, tends to be a large hindrance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've got a lot of data on this, right? Um, so, you know, you kind of segment the population. There, are, there are, are, are some folks, probably like yourself, that are very, very motivated. And so charging and wearing is not really going to be a problem. Right. But for most people, and this actually goes back to this dopamine economy that we were talking about, uh, if, if I don't get an immediate benefit from doing something, I'm not going to keep doing it. Hmm. And the reality is when we look at a lot of these health tools, the benefit is longitudinal. The benefit's over a long period of time. It's not, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily going to feel the benefit today or tomorrow. Uh, yeah, that's important. That's important. I think for, for most of us experimenting with wearables to, to really know, because you're absolutely right. You do expect that there's some kind of big benefit within the first week or two. And, and it is important to recall that, yeah, no, no, this is a long game. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll give you data on that. I mean, yeah. Spire Stone, our first product, which was a more traditional wearable that you, you know, clip on um, and charge. Um, uh, so had very good adherence um, compared to other devices. Yeah. But we noticed something very interesting. People who started using the product uh, uh, earlier in the week had much greater long-term adherence than those who started using it like Thursday or Friday. Hmm. That, and that was, you know, so the day of the week determined that. And, and you know, we, we, we equalized it for all other kind of variables. Hmm. And so you're like, well, why, why is that? Hmm. And the reason that our hypothesis, and I'm pretty sure is, you know, the reason is that uh, with the Spirestone, which is very, very focused on stress-based feedback, people started using it on Monday or Tuesday, you know, early in the week. During the work week, we we're much more likely to help them identify and, and mitigate a stressful event in the first few days of using it. Whereas somebody started it and then they had the weekend and they're more relaxed, the, the device was, wasn't able to provide as much value until a number of days into it. And so, and so the, their, their, their feedback loop in terms of the value uh, was, was, was different. And that was, that was literally a very large factor that determined the term adherence. And we thought that was kind of tragic, right? Um, and yeah, there was a, you know, we could have done a bunch of stuff around you know, explaining to people, and we did, and, and, you know, uh, you know, try to, you know, no, no, whole, you know, there's all, there's all the kind of gamification stuff you can do. But I, I think all of that is kind of icing, or, you know, it's all window dressing on this fundamental, more fundamental uh, thing that we have to realize about human behavior, which is that if we don't see the immediate benefit, we tend to not keep doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And, and when it comes to what we've been talking about, a lot of that benefit is longitudinal. So we looked at that and said, how do we solve that problem? How can we, how can we create a user experience that solves that problem? And 
what we came up with was saying, well, let's make it so you don't actually have to do anything to have our sensors on your body. Mm -hmm. How can we make it so that it's just completely, after the initial setup, it's completely frictionless mm -hmm. to have those sensors on your body? And that's where HealthCat came from, which we said, well, look, people wear clothes. That's a behavior that's not going to change. Yep. So can we just make this be uh, a, part of your, a part of your clothing? Um, uh, and so undergarments is really the best place for the stuff to be. Uh, and so health tags, the way health tag works is you get a pack of tags, you stick them on the, um, the underwear or bras that you wear most often. Um, and then, uh, and then, and then that's it. Um, they go through the washer and dryer. Mm. Uh, so, you know, once it's on the clothing, you, you, again, you're not like taking them on and off, you're just leaving on the clothes uh, and the battery lasts, uh, well over a year. Uh, and so it, you know, once that's on someone's uh, clothing, then that's it. That's it. Never think about it again. No, uh, it's a game changer. It's surprising from an adherence perspective. And just, it's an ease of use thing, right? When you don't have to think about it, you just use it. And, it's, and again, it's not that you don't want to use it. It's just that extra bit of friction. You're right. It's like you just, you, humans are much more inconsistent than we like to believe we are, right? Yeah. And then, and then it's also really relevant again. And I, you know, I, I, I come back to this cause I think, I think, I think I imagine a lot of people listening to, to this podcast, um, you know, work in this space and are thinking how to advance this space. And it's really important that we keep remembering that, you know, the most of the people that this can really impact are not thinking about this day to day, mm. but we have the, you know, we feel we have the job and obligation to figure out how do we bring that technology to, to really help as many people as possible. Um, and most people, when they wake up in the morning, you know, if, if you're wearing a device or something because, because you're not healthy, you don't, you know, you don't want to wake up in the morning and think, oh, I'm going to go do this thing because I'm not healthy. It's just, it's against human nature, mm. right? We, we tend to want to ignore these kinds of things. And so making it super frictionless, we've seen is super key to that broad adoption. And, you know, we have clinical studies going on right now with, patient groups that are notoriously uh, poor at doing anything, you know, taking, even taking drugs, right, at home, like life-saving drugs. Compliance, yeah. uh, and, and yet we get really, really good adherence. It's because we've made it frictionless and visible. So health tag, you know, part of it is it's these little tags that go on your clothes and you just don't have to think about wearing them. Uh, the other part is obviously we measure, you know, it has, it has accelerometers in there, so we get the actigraphy stuff. It has an optic heart rate sensor in there, so we can get the heart rate stuff. But then it has our unique respiratory sensor in there, which allows us to get um, this really, you know, interesting respiratory waveform um, that we can that we that we're doing a lot of interesting stuff with. Yeah, I love I love, and, and people should know that, right? It does have the so so it does track the number of steps you take. It tracks your heart rate. Um, so of course, you know, <clears throat> it's nice to it's nice to know when you're working out or whatever if you've got yeah. the tags on. You know, you can check your app, and you're, and you can kind of maintain that target heart rate or whatever, whatever, um, if you're running or whatever. Um, but in addition to that, of course, the the kind of heart of the technology is is the the rich data on breathing. And for me, one of the things I really find for me the biggest one of the biggest benefits is just awareness. It's like straight up, like if I when I'm wear, you know when it's on and I'm wearing it, it just tells my conscious mind, hey, you're tense. 
and yeah. you didn't realize it. It's sort of like, it's just this gentle nudge that just keeps telling me, breathe into your belly, calm it down, right? You're, you're getting tense. I'm glad you bring that up because it's another part of our technology, both what we do on the consumer side as well as the medical side, is, is that kind of uh, monitoring by exception or the notifications. Mm. Um, our viewpoint is, yeah, the data is all fascinating and the data is great and there's a lot of richness in the data, but the value for it, for, for a, you know, a user, a patient, a consumer, whatever, whoever is using it, the value is the ability to identify meaningful moments where mm. some action can be taken, right? Um, it's, it's, that's, 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 you know, you've got to go back. We, we, we like to talk about the data and all these different things and I could geek out on that for hours, but, but also have to stay very focused on why does it, why does that matter? Mm. And it ultimately matters to hopefully provide an insight that allows some kind of change that's going to improve health. Right. And so exactly, you know, what we do with this, with stress is, is, is those notifications to your phone or to the device uh, where we're able to say, uh, look, your breathing's getting really tense right now. Let's make you aware of that. Um, and through that process of awareness, uh, in fact, the process of awareness in of itself causes change, <laughs> positive change. Um, uh, and, uh, and you can take a brief, deep breath or just, you know, take a step back or for a walk, whatever it is, you know, that in of itself is, but that's very valuable, right? And, and then we do, you know, we're talking about healthcare. We do the same stuff around healthcare of, hey, you know, this patient, um, we're seeing some really, you know, negative breathing signals that, you know, potentially indicate they're going to the hospital, they're going to go to the hospital. Mm. Right. And it's the same thing. Okay. Let's, let's do something now. You know, maybe that's, you know, a, a change in environment, you know, it's adding some more aggressive drugs, whatever it is to prevent that, 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 you know, hospitalization. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's that, it's that, the data is valuable to the extent you can turn into something that's actionable. And the way we do that is by looking for, you know, what are those, those moments where action can be taken? Yeah. And, 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 and the, one of the other things I really like about it in terms of action being taken is it, it tells me when I've been sedentary for too long, you know, that I've, I've had this big stretch of just sitting, you know, as, as uh, I remember reading in a book by Gretchen Rubin, sitting is the new smoking, you know, uh, where it's like, no, it's it, the, one of the biggest problems chronically is that we're all sitting at desks and we need to be moving more. So I also like that feature of yeah, yeah, getting right. up and going for a walk and reminding me to do that. Absolutely. That, uh, other devices have adopted as well. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, we, we've got to wrap up, but I, I, I just, this is so fascinating. I love, love, love what you guys are building. And I, I really do think it's the future. I think people like you and like Spire are, are sort of the, the, are leading the kind of change we're all hungry for uh, in, in creating the, uh, the, the future, quite frankly. And so again, I just wanna make sure people are reminded where they can find you. The website is Spire, S-P-I-R-E, Health, H-E-A-L-T-H, just like it sounds, H-E-A-L-T-H, SpireHealth.com. Uh, go there anywhere else people can and should find or follow you, Jonathan. Uh, yeah, I mean they they can they can find me me personally on, on LinkedIn. That's where I tend to post post stuff. Okay, awesome. All right, well, so thank you again, Jonathan, so much for being on the show. This has been so informative. Thanks for sharing your wisdom, your vision of the future. Uh, I'm I'm feeling more inspired. I know our listeners are too, and uh, we'll uh, we'll connect again soon.